Welcome into Football and Other F-Words. My name is Zach Lyons. You can follow me on Twitter at F-WordsPod. Today's show is brought to you by Jaspers. It's Nashville Elevated Sports Bar. You cannot find a better place in Jaspers to go watch Tennessee Titans game. Great food, great environment. They have arcade games, giant Jenga. They have uh, TVs everywhere. They're actually doing a board game night coming up as soon as well. I mean, it's a, it's a great place to go. They have this huge, massive bar right when you walk in that circles the uh, inside of where they're going to serve you your drinks and everything. But you get to see a TV from every angle. It's it's an amazing sports bar. Go see it. If you're not going to the game on Sunday, go to Jasper's today. And I, today I got with me Corey Curtis. Uh, he was sports director of WKRN. You can follow him on Twitter at Corey Curtis too. And you are an oh, six-time oh, Emmy Award winning anchor. How does that feel? Six-time Emmy Award winner. It feels expensive. And entering, those, uh, entering those contests is expensive. And and that's actually, I, I won those, most of those by about 2004 or five, because I really, I haven't entered since, um, because it's so expensive to enter. And it's so arbitrary on who wins. While, while it's great, and you know, I, I'm, I got the trophies right here. I'm really glad to have them, you know, excited, but doesn't impact my pay, doesn't impact my family. It is an acknowledgement of what you do, which is great. Um, and I appreciate you bringing it up, but. Well, like you got six. I mean, what good is seven? I mean, when you're at the top of the mountain, it's good to yeah. sometimes just go out on top. That's uh, so I, I won Tennessee sportscaster of the year four years in a row. And at that point I stopped entering. Yeah. I won a award last year. Uh, me and my former co-host, uh, Mr. Lebowski, Michael Gillum, we won an award for best sports podcast in Nashville. There you go. And I, a friend of the show, Buck Rising, has zero awards. So I always like to sh- tell him that, you know, it's going to stay that way for a really long time. Right. And, you know, I feel like I got one award. I do, do I need more awards in the in this same category? You're validated. I'm You're validated. validated. I, I'm, I'm here, baby. Uh, so tell people a little bit of background on on you besides being an award winning sports journalist. Uh, look, I'm from Chicago. I have the curse of being a Bears fan. I've seen more bad quarterback play than anyone should ever see in the history uh, of their life. But I've been in Nashville now for 20 years, 20 years. And I've been doing this for 30 years, um, which just makes me old. Um, You know, I'm married with a nine-year-old daughter and the joy of my life was coaching her soccer team for three years. And I never thought I would say that, but that's, that's the way it was. And I thought I learned more about sports and managing teams and, 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 you know, Coach Rabel made fun of me when I told him I was coaching my daughter's soccer team. He told me I was a babysitter, but (laughs) there's more to it than that. There is. And it taught me a lot. And it taught me a lot about when I cover teams in the future too. So it was a great experience and I talk way more about it than I should. Um, But did you have to do any in-season trades uh, on the soccer team? (laughs) I could not trade any of my players. (laughs) I I, I did have to bribe at times. I did have, you know, you know, which you could do with cookies and Capri Sun. And, and all of those things. Um, but no, there were there were no in-season trades. You know, look, the biggest compliment I got was every girl on our team for three straight seasons signed up to be back on our team. Well, that's good. That, that either means that you were an easy coach or a good <laughs> coach or maybe both. You're, you could have been both. I made it fun, uh, but I created expectations. Gotcha. And, you know, we worked. 
But yeah. I think I, I like I think no matter if it's little girls or little boys or big boys or big girls, what people crave structure, they crave a challenge. Okay, because who likes to win a game a hundred to nothing? I mean, right. it, that is not near as fun as you know winning twenty six twenty five. You know, punching it across the goal line as time expires, or like winning like Florida won the interception in the end zone to end the game, blocking the field goal like FSU did. That's way more fun than winning like Alabama did or or Georgia did. Yeah, uh, I I agree. I uh, I am an Alabama fan, so. Life is pretty good. So you're good. used to these lifeless games. Yeah. These so horrible I, games. Well, I got to the point where I quit watching them because there's better college football on at when they play most times. Like for me, I was talking to a Michigan fan last night and um he was he I told him I was an Alabama fan. Of course I got the eye roll because you know, <laughs> you know, life's good. It's it's like being a Patriots fan for that extended period of time. Life I is remember good. Mike Dubose. I yeah. remember uh the Shula era. Yeah, everything between Gene Stallings and Nick Saban, I was uh, I was alive and watching and suffered through. So like those two or three years where the Titans were irrelevant and have losing seasons were nothing compared to hell yeah. of the the Alabama stuff. I'm but, a Cub fan. Yeah, oh god, yeah. So I'm like, you know, I enjoy it, but I don't enjoy the games when they're like I didn't watch Utah State. Why would I watch it? I'm not worried about it. So I watched. Um, Georgia, Oregon, which actually turned out to be a blowout, and yeah. switched to Arkansas and um, that was a good game. I watched that game. Yeah, the Arkansas Cincinnati game, and I watched yeah. the Georgia Florida game, LSU. I mean, there were just better games. So you know, I'm not going to worry about blowouts against lesser teams because you're right; it's just no fun. I can't, I can't imagine trying to keep the players engaged in that. Yeah, well, that's where bad habits are developed. Yeah, I mean, I mean, really, when you when you're winning big. That's when bad habits happen. And that's what drives coaches crazy in those moments. Um, you know, for me, my favorite part of this is this is crazy, Zach. My and I never saw this coming because we won way more games than we lost. Um, we, I, we're a YMCA team, but sometimes when you play in the YMCA, you play club teams, they're looking for games. And all of a sudden you're like, these girls are good, they're kicking our tails. Um, but it was my favorite part of coaching. You know, we're used to winning four to nothing, five to one, whatever. All of a sudden, my girls are down four nothing in the first half, and they're looking at each other, heads are hanging, they're pointing fingers. And I walk out on the field, and I tell the ref, timeout. There's no timeouts. In <laughs> There's but I not, tell him, not even one? No, no. But no. I tell him, I need a timeout. And he just looks at me. I'm like, I need a timeout. And I, and I get them all huddled up, and I look them all in the eye, and I'm like, hey, this isn't a lot of fun right now, is it? And they're like, I'm going to go, no. I said, so you can either point fingers at each other, hang your heads and get upset, or you can dig in and you can play harder and see how we do the rest of this game. And just the ability to rally the troops when the chips are down and to get them to know that there's more inside of them and to step up to the challenge, that was so my favorite part of the entire coaching process. And to see them respond, I get it now. I get it. I have a far greater understanding for Mike Vrabel now than I did three years ago. And I know people may sound think that that is insane to say, but that's what it taught me. It taught me about what was important when you're coaching because I never coached before. Yeah, I think I think that is like a very Mike, it feels like a very Mike Vrabel halftime moment in some of these oh. games where he just I gets them to pulls them together. Moment. Yeah, that's yeah. true. And I think that's, I think that's great that it's relatable and stuff. And, you know, I think that that part of Mike Vrabel's game, I, I think that, 
is such an important part as to why he's a successful head coach because he keeps everybody together. There could have been 13,000 times last season in particularly that he could have lost a locker room. He could have lost mm-hmm. the locker room in between switching from Marcus to Ryan Tannehill in 2019. And he, he just keeps them all say, together. What the heck is going on? Let's just get him next year. Yeah. I mean, a lot yeah. of people would. A lot of people would. But yeah. Look, for whatever problems any of us may have with Mike Rabel and how he does this thing, that thing, or another thing, he's an outstanding head coach, and he is an elite leader of men. Yes. Without question. Fully agree. Well, speaking of elite, we have maybe not an elite pass rusher, but the Tennessee Titans mm, have really suffered an one. injury last week of Harold Landry. Um, I've been kind of talking about this week, specifically on the football show, which is out on Monday in podcast form. And I kind of came to the realization over the weekend, I don't know if this translates into anything other than maybe moments in a game where you wish you had Harold Landry, not to say that his impact won't be felt, but the fact that I don't know if this translates into a definable or discernible win or loss with him out, because it's just what the Titans have always been able to do is to cover up the loss of a player. I largely agree with that. And I think they will largely be able to get through the regular season. Mm -hmm. But I think when you get to the playoffs and you've got to go through Herbert, Burrow, Mahomes, Allen, you're going to be wishing you had Harold Landry on the field. Because you, I mean, look, the other thing that we're not talking about is it's not just 12 sacks. That guy never came off the field. Mm -hmm. He played 90, 95% of the snaps all the time. He was an accountable player. He was never out of position. He could set the edge against the run. He's like, he wasn't, you know, Von Miller. He was like Derek Morgan at a plus level. Yeah. Or it is like Derek Morgan. What what Derek Morgan should have been when they drafted him in the first round. You know, Derek, before he blew out his knee, Derek Morgan, I remember he was, we were Carolina Panthers preseason game with the Titans. And it was like his first snap. And he was shot out of a cannon. and he sacked Jake DeLome in like one second. And I was like, holy cow, we're really in for something. And then he blew out his knee. Um, he had a good career. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, he, again, is a guy who has a first-round pick. A lot of people expected more. If he'd been a third-round pick, a lot of people said that was one of the best picks the Titans ever had. Yeah. But as a first-round pick, people expect more. He's a good player. I think Harold Landry is that, but a little bit better. And so, I, I look – we always think when injuries happen that they are the end of the world. They all feel like the end of the world. Like we just jumped off this cliff and there's nothing to catch us. I mean, Derrick Henry, he broke his foot. What are the Titans going to do? They're going to rush for 200 yards a game. That's what they're going to do because that's the culture they've created. There's a lot of guys who can carry the football. Now, there are not a lot of guys who can get 12 sacks. That ultimately is the problem. And so – when you're up 28-24 and Joe Burrow has to go 80 yards against you in the playoffs, that's when you're going to wish Harold Landry was on the field. But yeah, until I think, then, I think you can cover it up. Yeah, I think you're going to miss the speed element. I don't know if speed, this – Yeah, yeah this, I agree. This, the Tuska kid that they got from North Dakota State that they picked up off waivers or off free agency um, – I don't. I I know that he's apparently super athletic, but it is it feels like more Kamale Correa than it does Harold he Landry. Released. He got he, released. I mean, Tuska or or, or not, not from the Titans, right? No, no, okay. from the Steelers. Yeah, yeah, from the Steelers. Right. I mean, but, but that, what does that tell you? I mean, yeah. 
Exactly. I mean, he's just not, he's not, he's not good. one of their top four or five. Yeah. It's and, the same so, like Josh Gordon being released and everybody start, everybody I, sees I, the why clips. Why are we talking about him? Everybody sees the he's clips for the Monday. Squad. Yeah. Everybody sees the clips for Monday and they're all like, well, he looks really smooth and, and everything. Maybe he's going to be something. And I'm thinking, Tony well, Julio, so did Randy yeah. Moss. So did, yeah. I mean, look, Josh, Josh Gordon hasn't been relevant in a long time. He right. was with Pat Mahomes. And they couldn't find a way to use him. A a team like the Chiefs could not find a way to utilize his talents. Andy Reid. Yes. Andy Reid, arguably the best offensive mind in the game, couldn't get him to do something. Fully agree. And I think that people are expecting him to be, you know, 2013 Cleveland Browns going off, going 1,600 yards kind of Josh Gordon. I'm like, well, first off, he's in a run-first offense. Second off, he's, he's wide receiver five which is technically pass catcher eight or nine when you are – if, yeah, if he got on the roster, he'd be wide receiver five. But you yes. got to look at – he would be pass catcher eight or nine if he made the roster because you got Hilliard and yeah. the two tight ends that would uh, be – seeing uh, yeah. They would see catches before him. So it's like I don't know what people are expecting. Do I think he could beat out Cody Hollister? Sure. Maybe, but does that mean anything? No. Like, no I think nothing. one of us, if we spent like three weeks training nonstop, <laughs> I think one of us could beat uh, Cody Hollister out for a I'm 51 spot. years old. The only thing I'm beating is, is somebody <laughs> to the bathroom. So yeah. that, that, that's it. But look, I mean, yes, we, we go through this all the time. Uh, and I always say, don't, you know, you remember the Seinfeld episode where yes. Sansa ate the donut out of the trash? Or the chocolate oh, yeah. The trash? Oh, gosh. Don't eat the chocolate eclair out of the trash can and that's what everybody always wants to do they see it it's pristine it's josh gordon he looks great in uniform it's just like that eclair it's there it's still in the wrapper but i want to eat it don't eat it don't it's eat it. it was like golden tate last year except for golden tate showed like day one that he was not football ready no and and we and we go through this all the time and all you the know time who's the, you know who's most guilty of it players players love aged out players you know really oh they talk about him all the time you know how many guys campaigned to bring ed reed in at the end of his career ed reed is a hall of famer but he was so done that the ravens let him go look when the bears let go brian urlacher the the cries were everywhere bring in urlacher i'm like i'm a bears fan and if the bears think urlacher is done he's done yeah and he was done and so we go through this all the time. Occasionally, I know a guy may show he's got a little something left in the tank, but for the most part, there's a reason the Titans picked all 16 guys from their preseason roster and originally put them on the practice squad. They're guys they know, guys they trust. Yep. And at the end of the day, that's what this team's about. And I think that's where the why they haven't made any kind of big move to replace Harold Lander because they trust that Rashad Weaver. A combination of Rashad Weaver, Ola Denny, and then the versatility of Danico Autry and Demarcus Walker allow them to move people around to mitigate the loss. Not replace the loss, just mitigate it. I think you bring up a really interesting point there. And it came up yesterday when the when the depth chart came out. And we saw Danico Autry listed outside linebacker. I'd be interested to know the percentage of snaps, both Bud Dupree and Harold Landry, Number one, line up with their hand in the dirt. And number two, how often the both of them line up with their hand in the dirt? Um, because this is what we're talking about. So, you know, is Danico Autry going to drop back into pass rush 
it's possible. We've seen crazier stuff, but good Lord, I hope it doesn't happen. But if Harold put his hand in the dirt 30% of the time, I mean, would you say that's a safe assumption? I would I would say that that is, is, is pretty safe. And so, so if Danico takes up those 30% of snaps with his hand in the dirt, you've, you've replaced one third of Harold Landry with, with a really good football player. And so I think, and, and that leaves Ola and Rashad fresher for certain situations, you know, to do things as well. So I think that that's a really interesting development that we've seen. And I think it's a sneaky deployment. And I wonder, I wonder whose idea uh, that it was. Yeah, I think it's more of the fact that they they don't really like the depth chart, right? Mike Vrabel has come out and said that he yes. just doesn't even care about it. So I think I think have. if you could have switched the name to Marcus Walker, Danico Autry, and it still would mean the same thing. It means that there's going to be guys that rotate in yeah. and out at that spot. Well, but defensive linemen who yeah. are going to play end now instead of bringing that linebacker into that fourth end. Yeah, it looks like okay. So Harold Landry last year. He only played six snaps where there the hand would be in the dirt. That's a, no, that's not possible. That's according to PFF. Is that Harold Landry? I, that's what he, they have. I saw Harold Landry's hand in the dirt a lot. Yeah, a lot. I mean, look, I know that's what they get paid to do, but I find that impossible. The um, I think that I think I'm not surprised that they have both Danico Autry and Demarcus Walker listed there. I think what's going to happen is is those guys are going to kind of change in and out as far as how they're going to deploy the the linemen. Like I could see Demarcus Walker coming off, Danico Autry going in, and then you got Rashad Weaver in the back. And I think Rashad Weaver is going to play a lot on the line with his hand in the dirt too. Yeah, and then big man, he's they're just going to really move these guys around. Mm-hmm. I, they got to find speed somewhere. I don't mm-hmm. know where they find it. I don't know if Bud Dupree, it, in their mind, is the speed guy. I don't think Rashad Weaver is. But they gotta f- replace that speed in some form or fashion. I just don't know. I think for at least four weeks, you're gonna be looking at a team that's gonna what you see their roster is right now is probably what their roster is gonna be for four or five weeks, pending could be, injuries. Could it be David and any? Yeah, Dave, I mean, you know, he's he, fast. 20 sacks at Houston. Um, had all sorts. We we saw some closing speed. I think it was in Baltimore mm-hmm. with back-to-back sacks. Um I don't believe he was elevated to 53. Was he still? Yeah, no, he's still squad? on the practice squad. Um, but I mean, he's a guy that I liked in the preseason, and I would not count him out as the season goes along if they think they need to bring in some speed yeah. on the edge and they don't want to pay for it. Okay? Right. I mean, if they don't want to trade for a, a Robert Quinn um, or something along those lines, so that's going to be uh, interesting to see. Because you're right. I mean, Weaver, Dupree, these are big lumbering outside line they're mike rabels that's that's what they are they can still get to the quarterback but they can't close like harold can't they don't have that last three steps to catch the quarterback and keep him from running away what the two other things on the depth chart that probably stick out to most people is uh essentially the offensive line how it's how it's formed Mm -hmm. even though that really shouldn't be too much of a surprise but it was interesting to see that dennis daly was the main swing tackle and Jamarco Jones at left guard, Dylan Reigns at right guard. I kind of get the sense that if Nate Davis or Aaron Brewer were to exit a game, that Dylan Raidens would be the first guy in in either of those spots. But you've been around the team all offseason. You've you've seen 
maybe the lack of development from Dylan Radins. I've maintained not a tackle. I, I don't yeah. think he was a tackle when he got drafted. I think it was a stretch to think so. By, he just doesn't have the skill set. Yeah, he just doesn't have it. And that's okay, but now they're trying to get him in at guard. Is Dylan Raiden salvageable for this team to be as a guard? Uh, I will say this. He's still on the football team. So yeah. there are people there who still think he is. Uh, I, I thought it was really interesting that week where they basically told us all, hey, Petit Frere's the starter, and they just played Dylan at guard all week, and we're like, okay, he's done. I, I went and, you know, we, we only get a few minutes to shoot video, yeah. and I and I took our camera to the, what we call the island, because you have to go way off to go shoot the offensive lineman, and I'm there, and Keith Carter is there running drills. He's like, good job, good job, good job. Dylan goes, kind of misses with the punch, and then it takes a misstep, and Keith's like, Oh, come on, Dylan. We've still been working on this for, you know, six months or something. And I was like, yeah, there you go. There you go. And so, look, I have my doubts. I have my doubts because, I mean, not only could he not he look, they gift wrapped that right tackle spot for him and he could not hold on to it. And, you know, I like Aaron Brewer. I like tough, tough nuggets like him, you know, guys who shouldn't be out there, but just are. I mean, I'm, I'm all about that. Yeah. And I and I hope he has a great season. But. He should, at six foot, whatever he is, and 315 pounds, he should be able to beat out Aaron Brewer. He's not even close to beating out Aaron Brewer. He's that, that's what I wondered. Is he even close to no. beating out him? Yeah, Ben. I mean, I mean, I don't know if he's the first guard off the bench or not. Yeah. I don't know if Dennis – look, if a guard comes out, I think Dennis Daly is probably coming in the game. Gotcha. That makes sense. That makes some sense because he does have experience in the guard spot too. They seem yeah. to have really – skyrocketed daily up and i i was talking to Braden last which tells week. you how bad all those other guys are <laughs> yeah, yeah for real <laughs> it tells you that they're in a bad state of being able to trust any of these guys but it looked like dennis daly was like the most relieved man it looks like he just got rescued from a hostage crisis <laughs> because he looks so <laughs> happy to be there and i'm hoping that's a good sign that maybe his lack of development or lack of mm -hmm. producing at a NFL standard level is because the coaching staff that he comes from is just terrible. Well, and I think it's a good point because I always say, you know, when we, when we pick preseason picks, this, that, you know, thing, I look at the Titans and I always say superior coaching. They, yeah. they have superior coaching. Um, last season is, you know, Mike Rabel absolutely deserved to be, you know, the head coach of the year, but he's not the only one who's a good coach. I mean, when you can bring Jim Schwartz and Tim Kelly in as consultants, you got a pretty strong coaching cast staff. When they brought in Keith Carter, I slammed the move because he had virtually no time with offensive linemen. He was like the Falcons running backs coach, yeah. an assistant offensive line coach for the year, and he was replacing Russ Grimm. And I was like, how how are you expecting Taylor Lewan to listen to this guy? And you saw Taylor challenge him right off the bat. Keith Carter's done an outstanding job, and there's there's no other way to put it. When we've seen that group struggle, he's gotten them together and pushed them forward. So I would expect. Dennis Daly, you know, maybe not to be a star player, but whatever he's got, and he's still a young player, I would expect them to get the most out of. And I think the more time he can get here before he actually has to play in a game, the better. What do you think about Roger McCreary getting the the starting nod? And I put that in quotes because I don't really think being with no, being that they have two cornerback spots yeah. on their depth chart and not a nickel cornerback spot that I don't necessarily think that I think being a starter in certain positions is kind of like 
Mm-hmm. It's just an asterisk. It's just a label. It doesn't really mean much. But what do you think of Roger McCreary, and how do you think they'll deploy both him and Caleb Farley going forward? Well, I think it's a total sign of respect, I mean, for what this kid is. I mean, they love Roger McCreary. The fact that Roger McCreary didn't play in the preseason as a rookie second-round pick tells you everything you need to know. They love Roger McCreary, and they think he's ready to play right now. I mean, Traylon Burks? Tons of snaps, needs to play football. Caleb Farley, tons of snaps. And that's a kind of a different situation, but needs to play football. I, I thought Shane Bowen put it best about a month ago when he when he was asked about Roger McCreary, and he said, I don't look at him as a rookie, okay? That's what they think of that kid. I'm Derek Mason, the former Vanderbilt coach, was at practice one day. He was Roger's coach his last year at Auburn. And I asked him, and he was like, oh, my gosh. He's like, you are going to love this kid. He loves football. He never missed a practice. He was never late for a practice. He is all about football. He is 100% their kind of guy. And so the fact that they're willing to push him out there, and and normally we would see them say, oh, you know, Caleb is our number one pick. Caleb's the the guy. They're all going to play. But they haven't even worried about that. They're just like, Roger. And it's been Roger since he pretty much walked in the door. And we've kind of seen if Caleb can play up to it. Now, as you said, and we found out last year, there's plenty of snaps for all of these guys. Plenty of snaps. And I I expect to see a lot of 5DB looks from them, you know, possibly even six at times with the different kind of hybrid players that they can deploy when you look at the Elijah Moldens and the Imani Hookers and some of these guys. But I would expect Fulton and McCrary – And then when Caleb comes in the game, McCreary to swing inside on the slot and Farley to be on the outside because he is a big, long dude who can match up out there. Well, 76% of their defensive snaps last year were three cornerbacks or five defensive backs or more. So they they are going to find slots for everybody. Like If if you take that 76%, that means that uh, Caleb Farley would have played roughly around, you know, 800 and something snaps last year, I believe, if if you like you project that out, which is a lot for even a third cornerback or whatever you want to yeah. call it, you know, that he is on the depth chart. And so I just think that people are kind of, yeah, you kind of want to see him wrestle it away from Roger McCreary, but can't both things be true Zach, that your first I want round- him to get through the season. That's yeah. what I want him to get through. And if it means playing 50% of the snaps, if they can get Caleb Farley through 17 games, that's the victory. Right. Like to me, I'm thinking he still hasn't significantly played a lot of football since 2019. So we got to keep everything perspective. I understand that he has the label of a first round pick, but really Roger McCreary had first round talent as well. So it's not a surprise that he's able to come in, even though he has the label of a second round pick and he was deemed, you know, I could wait, you have a 28 inch arms or something and everybody's all up in arms about that. All up in arms about short arms. Yeah. Look, the fact that the Titans took him at 35, right? Right. Which is the third pick of the second round. That's like borderline first round. I mean, they did not need to draft that position. Okay. They they had other positions of need. They could have drafted a tackle. Could have drafted another wide receiver. Could have drafted a guard. I mean, it could have absolutely used. There were a lot of other places that they could go with that spot. That where they took Roger McCreary and how they sprinted the podium to do it tells you everything they thought about McCreary. I agree with you. They'll never say we had a first round grade on him. 
I think they viewed him as a first rounder and they were ecstatic to be able to pick him in round two. Yeah, he had to be high up on their draft board with the yes. way they reacted that, oh, yeah. that night. And because, I mean, you look at it and you're like, they they traded up for him, they went and got him, and they're, that's when you know that the Titans had a player way up high on their yeah. draft board that they could not believe was still there. Like when the Preds got Seth Jones, there was like, yeah. oh my God. Yeah. Can't get to the podium fast enough. Any other surprises or, or interesting tidbits from the depth chart that you saw when it came out yesterday? Um, no, I mean, I, I agree with you. The cornerback thing, you know, was interesting. And the Danico Autry thing, you know, kind of stood out to me. But uh, I, I don't get too tied up into it because, I mean, when they, when they list Jeff Swaim as their starting tight end, I just kind of throw that thing out the window and just say, whatever. I mean, that guy could make the Jacksonville Jaguars. Here we are still yeah. doing this. Um, so, I, I look, we know who the Titans dudes are. We right. do. I mean, that we've seen this roster come together. We're no longer wondering who's going to play corner, and it winds up being Ray Hill as an undrafted free agent out of Florida. They've got guys, all right? Then they've got guys at virtually every position, except for the offensive line of spots. Um, and so there, there's not a lot to um, to argue about. I think I think when you look at the wide receiver situation, you wonder how the targets – are going to be distributed right uh, and and that that in uh, you know the the preseason was no clue to that whatsoever um and so i think i think the addition of tim kelly and the complete revamping of their receiving core because this i mean it's a total i mean it's like a total rebuild of the right. receiving core it's going to be fascinating to see how that gets deployed these first four weeks of the season yeah i expect you know Traylon burks will probably play similar to how they utilized AJ Brown for those first four games yeah. in 2019 as a rookie. He got, he averaged, I think five to six targets a game mm -hmm. and he played about 42 to 49% of snaps uh, for those first four games. And that to me, I, I feel like Traylon Burks was playing deep into the fourth quarter was to kind of get him to see how long he can last in a game mm -hmm. and how many snaps he can take. Mm -hmm. And he was open. There was a lot of throws that Malik Willis oh missed, missed oh my that God. you know that you're thinking oh Ryan Tannehill would make that throw. Six like Ryan Tannehill, or, or, that's a six. That's a touchdown with Ryan Logan Tannehill. Logan Woodside missed him for six on a yeah. deep ball um, yep. in Tampa. I mean, I'm just like, come on, man. I mean, you've got or you've got to hit these. Uh, but yes, he had opportunities. And I think when you talk, I agree with you on the snap count at 40 to 50 percent. I, but I think also when he's out there, there's going to be a purpose. I think right. I think there's going to be a, a there's going to be an impetus on getting him the football in in a lot of different ways. I I was talking with someone about this earlier today. Look at all the Titans receivers. Do I like Robert Woods? Hell yes, I like Robert Woods. Do I like Kyle Phillips? Yeah, that day that J. Rob showed us the tape of all the draft picks, Kyle Phillips was the guy you walked out of the room going. I did not know that guy was a baller, but he is a straight-up baller out of UCLA. I can't wait to watch him play. You know, we know what Nick Westbrook-Akina is. Austin Hooper's played in two Pro Bowls, so we know he can produce. But of all those guys, Zach, who is the one guy you want to see do something with the ball in his hands? It's it is Traylon Burks. Easy. Unquestionably, it's Traylon Burks. If you could give one of those guys the football at the 40-yard line with five yards of cushion – he is the guy, and it's not even a discussion. I agree. I mean, it is. It. I think it's an exciting 
going to be an exciting first few weeks just because we really don't know how different the offense is going to look because if you if you look at the preseason that's never a really good barometer because nobody's showing anything in the in the preseason now yeah and now they listen they did take a little bit more deep shots down the field than they did in the previous off season or previous preseason with matt barkley and logan woodside i think that's why you saw logan woodside struggle because they were asking him to do more than what he's been asked to do in the past yeah with no blocking (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but they were asking him to go further down the field, and I think that's a good sign. But you're not going to see – people are like, well, this kind of looks like the same old Titans offense. Well, it's going to be a run-first offense, but there is – with the addition of Tim Kelly, you have to expect that there is going to be a different version. I think it will be a lot closer to like an Art Smith-style route uh, routes being asked to ran by the wide receivers and the the way the play is drawn up and everything. You still got Todd Downing calling the plays, supposedly. We don't know how much influence Tim Kelly has on that. But how long do you think that would last if they struggled the first three or four weeks? I, I think that in my mind, Todd Downing has a short lease leash. I would agree. I would agree. Because it because we all know it was widely reported that Mike Vrabel, before you hired Todd Downing, wanted to interview Tim Kelly and the Houston mm-hmm. Texans blocked him. Yeah. I, I I think that at some point, if this team comes out really slow and sluggish uh, for mm-hmm. a couple weeks in a row, I think that there's going to be a maybe we don't know, but there is definitely going to be a change in the winds behind the scenes that we may never know of. He's insanely loyal. He's insanely mm-hmm. loyal to his coaches. Um, and, and I think that's largely um, a good thing. But as you said, Tim Kelly's here for a reason. Mm-hmm. And I. I think. The keeping of Dontrell Hilliard is really telling to me that, yes, it's still Derrick Henry's offense, but I don't think – I think they want to be not so Henry dependent because what happened the last two years in the playoffs? They lost. Why did they lose? Because Derrick Henry got shut down both games. The last three playoff games that they've lost, Derrick Henry got shut down in every single one of them. And so I think they know – they have to be more diversified. They have to have more ways of moving the football down the field. And so I think that we're going to see more of that this season. How much more? I don't know. But I think it would be cra- – and I know you got to 12-5 and five and you got where you needed. I do. But I also know this. You haven't been to the Super Bowl. You haven't been right. back to the AFC Championship. And that's the goal. It's not to go 12-5. and five. It's to win the big one. And if Ryan Tannehill can't take them down the field in the fourth quarter, they're not going to get there. And so they have to be set up to do that, both in deployment of talent and deployment of coaching staff. And so I think Tim Kelly coming on board is to add creativity and new dimensions to that passing game. And they brought in players who all add different elements to that passing game as well. So while I agree with you, they they are not going to get away from who the Titans are running the football I think it's going to change a little bit. I think we'll see more games of Tannehill hitting 30 passes or more than we did in the past. I could be wrong, but that's where I'm leaning. Well, I think that their biggest problem these last few years, even under Art Smith, if the running game fails, everything else really crumbles around it. You see very rarely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Because if, if Derrick Henry's being stopped, that means that, the, the the their run game pass game do not run independently of each other and i think yeah. that's been a big issue and see you're bringing in a guy in tim kelly who has shown flashes of having a successful passing attack and ha- and having no talent 
in the run game whatsoever. He carved him up last year in Houston. Right. So, like, <laughs> I'm looking at it from the perspective of, okay, Tim Kelly's coming in as your passing game coordinator. You don't need him as a running game coordinator because we've seen that this Tennessee Titans offense, doesn't matter who you plug in there, the run game works. The run game just kind of works. Offensive line coach usually draws up the run game. Yeah. And so you bring him in. He's never had a running game. Now he's got all these new weapons and toys that he probably had a good bit of deal into scouting and to saying that he wants. I bet they all got together and said, I want Cal Phillips or I need this guy. They or traded this guy for guy. Robert Woods. Yeah. I mean, so there was obviously a skill set there. And I remember I remember having a conversation with Mike Vrabel, probably like his second year in the league. And I we were talking about the Rams. And I'm like, I'm like, we were talking about Sean McVay. I'm like, I'm like, he got Robert Woods, who was just a guy. To go yeah. for a thousand yards, and Brable's head just about snapped off. Robert Woods is not just a guy, and he <laughs> just weighed into me about how good Robert Woods was, and he was right, and I was wrong. Robert yeah. Woods is a really good football player. He just wasn't in position to make as many plays as he was capable of, and then the Rams did it. So the Titans going and getting him, they got him for a reason, and you're absolutely right. Kyle Phillips fills a role. Austin Hooper fills a role, and God bless America. Traylon Burks fills a role for yeah. this football team. <laughs> That you don't trade away A.J. Brown and draft that guy without thinking that that guy is a dude. Because if he's not a dude, if he's a dud, if you drop the E, you, and this is just another Isaiah Wilson, and I don't know how many of those you survive. Right. I, I agree with you. I think that they know that Traylon Burks is the guy or can be the guy on this team when he is, you know, got a couple games under him. I, I, I don't think that it's going to be... I hate comparing him to AJ Brown because that's not fair to him. He's trailing Burks. Yeah. But I can see him being the guy. Maybe it doesn't happen just this year. Maybe there are some growing pains for him. Yeah. But a lot of people are starting to come around to this idea that trailing Burks could be a sleeper pick for offensive rookie of the year because the reports coming out is that this offense and this team is dying and desperate to find ways to get him the ball. And they want to get him the ball. When he came out of the draft, he was the pick to be the offensive rookie of the year. And then he had the issues in, in mini camp and in rookie camp of getting on the field. Mm -hmm. And that's when he dropped off. And now, guess what? He scores a touchdown in the last preseason game. And all of a sudden, it's it's all about perception. And, and right. the national media's perception is about this big. Because they're all saying Malik Willis is going to challenge Ryan Tannehill for the starting <laughs> job right now. And we know that that's not true. And down the line, it's absolutely true. But this year it's it's not true and so they, they live world in this kind of petri dish um a very small sample size and so but i but i agree with you. They, they drafted him to get him the football and you can't erase the past you can't erase the spring but if you if you just cut that segment off and look at training camp forward the guy was there every day yep I think he missed you, uh, two half practices and one full yeah. practice, is it? Yeah, and, and people made a big deal out of it because of what happened in the spring. Mm. That's the only reason it was a big deal. He was there every day. He was working, and I, I agree with you. His numbers could have been much more prolific in the preseason had he had a more experienced quarterback who could get him the football. I, I still love that shot in the Cardinals game. or Was the Cardinals the Bucks game? It was the Bucks game where he was running wide open across the middle. Oh, of the yeah. League. It should have been six points. And he just, he's in the middle of the field by himself. I'm like, Malik, how can you not see him? 
It, it's it was crazy because that's like the most wild shot, and you're thinking anybody would let that rip and make that throw. Uh, you you don't even have to let it rip. You could just lob it. Yeah. <laughs> it and it's funny people forget AJ Brown's rookie year. Yeah. One catch in the preseason. Yeah. Corey okay. Davis zero. Yeah, and then he also um in he was uh the I looked at today and I put it out in an article on BroadwaySportsMe.com at the August the first August depth chart where Traylon Burks was listed as the fourth wide receiver. That version in 2019, he was behind Darius Jennings, Taewon Taylor, Tajay Sharp, and uh, Jalen Tolliver on the depth chart. Like, I AJ, don't remember him. Yeah, there were like three or four names I didn't even remember that were on this team, but he was behind all those guys, obviously Corey Davis as well and Adam Humphreys, but he was behind all those guys as yeah. well. It's just... AJ Brown and, and Traylon Burks are probably going to have similar career paths as far as the start of the year. And I think people, I think the inhaler gate, that whole situation really just put a, a really bad taste in everybody's mouth. And I'm sitting here, you know, screaming into the void on the podcast and on Twitter and on a football show saying he's it's just asthma. Like he, that's fixable. It's not like he had his leg cut said, off. I said, Zach, let's let, you know, let's let him play. Let's yeah. let him actually play before we condemn the guy. It's ridiculous. You know what I remember about AJ? You, he came in and he was huge. All right, mm -hmm. and I and I wondered if he could play at that size and yeah. if his body could hold up because there's no other receivers that really look like that, and and it's what makes him special. And so then he was battling injuries, battling injuries, and we didn't know what we were going to get. And then the open that was at the second half in Cleveland and Marcus yeah. hits him on that crossing route and he turns it up and goes like 70, 75. And all of a sudden you're like, okay, I think he's going to be special. Yeah. And he did that. He did have special ability because he could make those plays. He, he made plays that changed games. Yeah. And really that's what you need from Traylon Burks. You don't need seven catches for a hundred yards every week, but you do need two, three plays that changed the game. Yeah, exactly. And and I think it goes back to also the culture of the Tennessee Titans, and that's been a big topic this whole off season. Is yeah, uh, there there were there were people early in the year or early in the off season asking whether Ryan Tannehill was even a leader, whether Mike Vrabel had control of the locker room. Some anymore. people wondered if he cared out yeah. loud. Yeah, it's 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 insane the stuff that is said on the airwaves on Twitter that has to do with this team because I've always maintained, and you you spoke about it earlier. He's an elite leader of men. I think him and Mike Tomlin are two of the best leaders oh, yeah. of men, and I think that maybe it's a Mike thing. I don't know, but I think that both Mike of those Munchett, guys, Mike Malarkey, uh, Mike yeah. Rabel. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that really, I I have put obviously he deserved coach of the year last year. It wasn't even oh, yeah. a contest. These people who try to put Matt LaFleur and Brandon yeah. Staley in there. And I'm thinking what, what's going on? Uh, the Eagles head coach Rogers. too. Yeah. Like Mike Vrabel, what he did last year proves that the, the locker room culture that they have established works. And mm -hmm. you kind of see that he put, when he first got here, he said that he doesn't look for players to be a leader or anything. And mm -hmm. basically I've kind of felt that that was a good way to look at it. He kind of got bashed for that for a long time, but in the end, what he's expecting is that leaders naturally emerge from the locker room. Yeah, I agree. And I think Kevin Byard, Ryan Tannehill, Derek Henry, David Long, Taylor Lewan has matured and, and taken a leadership role underneath him. Ben Jones is a quiet leader. There's mm -hmm. leaders all throughout this defense and offense that have eventually stepped up. 
but specifically Ryan Tannehill looks like a new man. Um, yeah, I mean, look, he obviously had a better camp. I, I, I continue to say like Derrick Henry, his emergence the last few years, few years ago as a leader was really kind of shocking because he was kind of tough to talk to, you know, when he first got here, his interviews were, you know, a boxing match, um, you know, to get him to say anything. And, you know, he was just always kind of a quiet guy. And then I think when DeMarco was, you know, when his body completely fell apart and he knew it was his backfield and that second half of that season, he kind of took, kind of took ownership of things. And I think, I think that's when Derek felt like he could step forward. And so, yes, Ryan Tannehill has stepped up. It's still Derek Henry's offense. I mean, it's still, I mean, it's still Derek Henry's football team, really. Um, you know, he's, He's a freak of nature. I mean, he's like Mike Rabel. He walks in the room and your eyes immediately go over to him because he's just different, you know, from everybody else. But I think Tannehill has been more vocal. Um, I, I've i seen him work more with receivers, like walking out and pointing spots that he wants him to be, you know, moves like the way he's looking for them to make. I think he's been more demonstrative. I look. I think he understands that this is a referendum for him. I mean, if if he's not good this year, it, it could very well be the end of the line. He could be good and it could be the end of the line. But, you know, he's got to be good in the regular season and he's got to be good in the postseason. And it all starts now because last year he did not have a great camp and he did not have a great year. And so I think the fact that he's had a good camp and he's been more of a vocal presence in the leadership department, you know, his past, I mean, his his camp has been a dictation of what his season's going to be like. And, you know, we've seen it in 2021. We saw it in 2020 when he had a great camp. So I think that those are all promising for this year. Um, I don't agree with his decision for the Homer modeling project over the first week of voluntary camp. I'm, I'm not going to agree with that, but it, you're right. It wasn't a huge deal that he wasn't here. The excuse, though, was a terrible. Yeah, it, it, was, it wasn't great. <laughs> he, he did himself no favors. And, you know, no. like... He, and it, How about I, this? I just needed a little more time. Yeah, we were, we were all gone. Okay. Yeah, but we had a home decorating project. We had to finish. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> he he did himself. His PR department did himself no did him Celsius, no favors. Was it of Celsius? His, yeah, it was Celsius. Was oh my god. Yeah. And that was while camp was going on. He's yeah. Out there. Oh god. And it, it looked like, and I think it even ended up being a picture from like two months oh, yeah. ago or from something like, like that. It, yeah, it was from something yeah, crazy, which we all figured, but we're just like. Your optics are bad. Yeah, you're, he you're, need, you're, he needs a new PR group for sure. It, it was yeah. it was horrendous. I felt I kind of felt bad for him, but I also just kind of laughed at the whole situation because it makes it was thirty hilarious. million a year. Yeah, it goes with the territory. Yeah, the um the Giants play this Sunday. Um, it's a three twenty five afternoon game on Fox. Yeah, uh, Corey, my wife is flying back during the game. Do I divorce her before she goes on the trip so I don't have to pick her up from the airport? No, she's just gonna have to watch at the, bar have to at the watch at the bar at the airport. She's gonna have to watch. They have look. They have Uber. They have, you know, there's a lot of things. Yeah, my yeah. daughter has a soccer game at noon, and I'm gonna be there. Um, I will get to the <laughs> game on time. Yeah, I don't envy you. I would never leave my wife at the airport. By the no, way, no, I, I would. I, 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 I'm stuck taking her. I'm stuck picking her up. But the that's what they have radios for, right? I'm that's why they have my stuck. Key. Isn't the right word there? This yeah. is this is a place of record. Oh, gotcha. So you it's already out there. You already <laughs> said you're stuck picking her up. Yeah. You, 
you sh- you're overjoyed to pick her up. You're glad you can help her make her day better. <laughs> yeah, sure. That that's what we'll go with. I like that better. I'll save that for uh, next time. <laughs> um, how can the Titans avoid a letdown oh, like wow. last year? Because <laughs> the Giants are on paper on the field. It doesn't matter. A way worse team than mm-hmm. what you saw come into Nissan last year in the Arizona Cardinals. So how mm-hmm. do the Titans avoid that this weekend? Well, it was funny um, being at practice on Monday, that topic of last year's opener, you know, you brought it up to the players and they're like, oh man, we were awful. But we should, you know, look, there's a lot of times when we just think, ah, they'll be okay. And that's, that's shame on us. And last year with all the guys who did not practice during training camp, we should have expected them to stink out loud to start the season. We should have, we should have. They looked like, I hate to say this, they looked like an unprepared football team. And that that is not on Mike Rabel because Mike Rabel always has his football team prepared. It's on guys not practicing. Now, did he have something to do with them not practicing? Yeah, he did. He did. But this year, and I asked Mike this question. I asked him about the opener, and I said, well, don't you feel better because you've had virtually everyone practicing every day in the entire preseason, and he brushed it off. He's got to feel better about it. I mean – We've seen, I mean, look, we haven't seen a lot of Danico Autry, but I'm going to say, go against what I just said. I feel like he'll be okay. But like 95% of these guys have been out there virtually every day. I mean, the one guy that worries me is Nate Davis. That worries me because he's one of those players. If you go back and look at his practice history, if he doesn't practice all off season, which he didn't do last year, and which he and, didn't and do his rookie have year, good option. yeah, That's the other problem. he always starts slow, and I, I don't understand. I know he's in the best shape of his life and all that. I don't understand why he's missed so much time in this off season. Yeah, no, I think it's a legitimate concern. I mean, that's why the offensive line is unquestionably the biggest question for me for this team this year. If the offensive line can play well and come together, I think they'll have a great year. But if it's a struggle. It's it's going to be duct tape all season long trying to make it work. And so, you know, and look, Jamarco Jones was supposed to, to compete for that left starting guard job. I mean, he couldn't get on the field. And did he even make the 53? Yeah, he made the 53. I tried I tried to wheel it into existence that he wouldn't make it because I the, he started the fight, he got injured, you know, he started the fight with Taylor One, he got How do injured. How you start a fight with a guy on your own side of the ball? It's insane. And then he just hasn't looked good all the way back to veteran mini camps and OTAs. He just hasn't looked good yeah, at all at practice. Him in high school. I know. And I and, think it's just so, a weird yeah. thing. There's a I lot think, of allegiance there. Yeah, the contract also, you know, they take a 990 thousand you know i know it doesn't sound like much but when you're in these times in the off season and going into the regular season every penny counts and they kind of are kind of forced because of how the contract's written to kind of have to keep them for a little bit and and again lack of better options yeah i mean there's not a lot of better options for them this guy's played a lot of football and if you actually can get him on the practice field you know you like to think you can get him up to speed he's a he's a great big man um and he's played a lot of football so he should be able you know, to help you. It's been, it's been a disappointment. I don't know if it's been Kendall lamb disappointment, Yeah, but uh, I mean, it's probably kind of on par. Um, yeah. They expected a lot from Kendall lamb and got very little. And, and right now that's kind of where they are with Jamarco Jones. I think they they got lucky that Nicholas Petit Ferrer turned out to be a guy that can catch on quickly and show signs of improvement all through the off season. Because if not, we, I think oh, the yeah. Titans would be in Trading. a, 
they'd it'd be awful. I I couldn't. Yeah. It'd be terrible. Yeah, look, Nicholas Petit Frere is really impressive, and I'm and I'm not talking about on the field. I'm saying if you sit there and talk to Nicholas Petit Frere, he is a really impressive guy. I mean that. Yeah, there's not many times where I interview guys and think I'm outclassed in the brains department. And I'm like, this guy's way smarter than me, way <laughs> smarter than me. He's playing chess. I'm playing checkers over here. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, one of the interesting conversations I had with Coach Rabel before one of the preseason games, you know, we were talking about Petit Frere. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, they're kind of and, – and I think this goes back to Ohio State as well. They want fewer thoughts and questions and maybe a little more caveman. You know, it's because mm-hmm. at some point you have to bludgeon the guy across from you. Right. And you get to a point where you're like, no more questions. Just crush that guy on the other side of the ball because he's a smart guy. And what do smart people do? They ask a lot of questions. And so that that that's going to be interesting to see. And I'm also interested to see how do they treat T. Frere? Do they give him the Ken Wisenhunt treatment and they put him out on an island against Von Miller and say, go get him, kid? Or do they give him the Mike Malarkey treatment and they tag a tight end to his hip to start the season and say, don't worry. You don't have to do this on your own. We're not going to put you in a bad spot. I like to think it's going to be the second one, but we'll see. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they deploy this offense, specifically the first week, because obviously most of the offensive weapons have been available for Ryan Tannehill to practice with. So there is going to be a level of familiarity with everything. How how Derrick Henry's notorious for not only just a September slow start, but specifically a week one, game one slow start. Every year it seems yeah. like he's gotta, you know, crank it up and get there. So can this new look, because technically he does look a, like a totally different Derrick Henry, even though he's still like, you know, seven feet tall and you he's know huge. He's I huge. Mean, he's like, I mean, people are like, Well, is he really bigger? I'm like, Yeah, yeah, he is. You know, when he came into the league, you know, he's obviously very big you know, up top, but he was, he was kind of narrow Yeah, you know, through the hips. I feel like all of that has gotten wider yeah. and bigger. And I don't know how much, but I mean, he looks like a defensive lineman. Half the time. He, he looks more muscular too. Like I, oh, which you, huge. which is hard to say, but he just looks more in shape, more cut. So can he start off and get this team going on the, on his back and on his legs? Because that's something that's always been missing week one lately. And then can they keep Brian Tannehill upright is a big question. This is a pretty good defensive Biggest line question. that they're facing with the Giants. They're a big, heavy defensive line, which I think does not play well into Aaron Brewer and his uh, his abilities as an interior left guard. So in my mind, I'm thinking it's a it's a good test in the areas that they need to be tested in. And then everything else is gonna is a plus for Tennessee Titans. Like I think they're the offense for the Giants isn't gonna be that dynamic because it's Daniel Jones. They're mm-hmm. gonna be a lot of opportunities for turnovers. It, I know Saquon Barkley's motivated, but can Saquon Barkley do anything versus this this Titans defense that has even though Harold Landry's gone, he's one of the best edge defenders against the run. I think Rashad Weaver has shown that he has an ability to set the edge. As uh, just as well as Harold Landry can, and so can they prevent Saquon Barkley from going up? Because really, all you got to do as a corner, your cornerback room is just kind of delay the wide receivers just enough for Daniel Jones to make a mistake. Because ultimately, that's what's going to hinge on is Daniel Jones making mistakes. 
Well, look, I, I, I disagree with your take ah. on Shot Weaver that he has proven he can set the edge as well as Harold Landry. He's barely played for this team, and, gotcha. he, and he's only played in the preseason. He's got to prove it in the regular season to, yeah. to say he can set the edge. Do I, Look, he is a big dude, a big, long dude. Yeah. And so do I think he's got the traits and the desire to do it? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm interested. I'm excited to watch him play. But. He's going to have to do it before I can say he can do it like Harold Andrew. There's a reason Good Harold Andrew never came off the field yeah. because he did everything well. And so, again, that's what I keep pounding the table on. The guy never came off the field. You've got, you're not just, you know, if he only played 60% of the snaps, you'd only have to replace 36 snaps a game, 40 snaps a game. But he didn't. He played 56 snaps a game. And that's what you've got to replace. So that that's going to be interesting to see. But yeah, and it, if you can slow down um, Saquon and make Danny Dimes, you know, drop some pennies on you, you feel good about that situation. You you really do. I'm just you know, look, it's it's a new regime with the Giants. They have struggled with the offensive line for almost as long as I can remember. And can Brian Dayball fix that? Because um, that's that's the big question to me. Can he give Danny Jones? Um, some time can Kenny Galladay is that the worst contract in the NFL going right now? I, I tell you, he's the he's the most expensive wide receiver going right now. And Who they don't I watched, well to. yeah, well, I watched a lot of Giants games last year just because of certain fantasy. Yeah, it, it wasn't great. Uh, certain fantasy players were playing against them, okay. but when they would attempt to go to Kenny Galladay, there was no fight Separation. for the ball. the The guy that that you saw in Detroit. It's like he didn't even exist. It's well, it's wild. Yeah, no, he's fallen off a, a cliff. I mean, yeah. that's, it's it's. I mean, because like when the Patriots signed Janu and then had no plan to get him the football, I was like, you know, who, who's the genius who thought of this move? <laughs> right. uh, and, and and I thought the same thing. Like I think I drafted Kenny Galladay last year because the Giants gave him all that money. I said, well, they're going to force him the football. You know, they just gave him a gajillion dollars. That was a horrible pick. That was a horrible pick. But so we'll see. Look, if the Titans are the Titans, you know, you pound this team into submission in the fourth quarter. Derrick Henry gets 12 carries the first three quarters and he gets 12 more in the fourth. And, and you go home with a win. We'll see what happens. Let's, uh, uh, week one is notorious for being a liar. Like you, <laughs> yeah. you cannot take anything away from week one. <laughs> so right. on, let's say on Monday, the Sunday games are played and everything on Monday, next Monday. What will be the biggest topic that's going to be proven to be false? Is it going to be that the Colts went out and beat um, and won the game, the and then everybody's going to think that they're they're fantastic because they beat the Texans? Yeah. Well, look, the Colts. I think we're like four and six last year, and everybody was still saying, "Look out for the Colts in the AFC South." I mean, the the NFL. I don't know what it is. I mean, it's Indianapolis. Why are we beholden to this market? Why are we beholden to the worst uniforms in the National Football League? Peyton Manning hasn't been there in a long time, guys. I don't understand why we still hold this franchise at an elite level. I realize they sell a lot of jerseys there because every fan wears a jersey to the game. I realize that, but I don't understand that whole mantra. I don't. I Look, somebody's going to be declared a Super Bowl champ week one. The question is, who is it going to be? You know, I think Bills, Rams, you know, when that one's over, what are we going to hear? Well, we could see these two teams again. And they're yeah. right. They're absolutely right. So you, you wait and see. The, here's the teams that you got to look for that if they win big, 
the national media is just going to go nuts. One is the Dallas Cowboys because it's always the Dallas Cowboys. The Philadelphia Eagles, they are salivating to make the Philadelphia Eagles a Super Bowl contender. They are salivating to talk about Jalen Hurts like he's actually a top 10 quarterback. Never has a guy accomplished so little and been elevated so high as Jalen Hurts. So look out for the Philadelphia Eagles to be pushed into the elite territory right out of the gate. And I don't even know who they play week one of this season. And then, you know, I think San Francisco and Trey Lance is another one. I am a Chicago Bears fan. They are horrible, okay? (laughs) Their roster is horrible. They have a lot of work to do. They're in a position to do it next year, okay? The 49ers should absolutely beat the daylights out of the Chicago Bears. Trey Lance, none of us have seen a whole lot out of him. If he goes out and beats the Bears, it does not mean he's the answer to take San Francisco to the Super Bowl. Maybe he is, but that game will not dictate it. I have a new theory about the Colts love, and I want to I want to get your thoughts on this as a member of the media. I may vomit, but go okay. ahead. The I think that the beat writers and local reporters that cover the Indianapolis Colts are they make everything sound great and rosy and lovey-dovey. There's nothing that ever goes wrong yeah. down there. So when these national people go to do their research or have their interest in research and they call, they're getting all these glowing reports, whereas maybe the Tennessee Titans, their local media is a little bit more realistic and and some stuff gets taken out of context. Like we would like actually we say, the, the offensive line is yeah. a concern. Well, that Titans offensive line, they even think down there it's a problem. Where and the then Colts, with Colts, yeah. which they have issues as well, they the, the no best offensive tackle. line, no no holes at all in the offensive line. The offense is great. So I think that that is why the national media has attached themselves to the Colts is because nobody that covers the Colts ever says a bad word about them. And Jim Irsay is a raving lunatic. Yes. And, and, and Chris Ballard, Look, I like Chris Ballard. Chris Ballard's done a good job. I, I said this in the I, – I thought about this because I railed against the Colts pretty hard on one of those preseason broadcasts, and I was like, what if this one gets replayed on the NFL? <laughs> um, and I'm like, this, this is going to go out to everyone. But I, I look, this is a fact. This is a fact. Stone-cold scientific fact. Any other team in the National Football League is on their fifth quarterback in five years. They are labeled dysfunctional. Yep. Dysfunctional. And Chris Ballard gets a friggin' badge of honor as GM of the year every year because he's rolling out another corpse at quarterback. I mean, that look, Carson Wentz was available because the Eagles didn't want him anymore. Atlanta didn't want Matt Ryan because guess what? He wasn't worth it anymore. They're eating the eclairs out of the garbage can and being applauded for it, Zach. And that's crazy. You know, to me, it goes back to to what you said earlier about players loving the old guys. At some point, if you're the, the a mainstay in this Colts locker room since they, the when Andrew Luck retired on, doesn't this have to annoy you that they are not taking this quarterback situation seriously? Like, it would annoy the hell out of me. It's a band-aid. Every yeah. year it's a band-aid. I mean, look, say Matt Ryan does have a good year this year. And do I think Matt Ryan could play decent this year? Sure I do. I mean, Matt Ryan's a pro. Matt Murray knows too, but he doesn't move well, and he doesn't pass like you do. Go back to that 2019 Titans game. He had Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, Austin Hooper, Devontae Freeman, and they were terrible. Yep. Terrible, terrible, terrible. And Matt Ryan, was he playing at MVP level then? No, that was 2019. It is 2022. He's older. 
Yeah. Okay. He's not younger. And guess what? He's not Tom Brady. There's only one of those. So that is, is just not going to happen. All right. So he could have a perfectly good year, but then guess what? He could fall off a cliff next year. And in two years, they're looking for another quarterback again. Everything is so short term trying to sneak a Super Bowl out of this offensive line and that. I agree with you. Look at the San Francisco 49ers. They made their move and got Trey Lance. They had Jimmy G. Yep. They said, forget it. Look at the look at the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. They had, and th- this is the comp I kind of use for Malik Willis. Mm-hmm. They had Alex Smith. And Alex Smith had the greatest season of his career. And they said, bye-bye. Yeah. <laughs> Because no, they did. Because yeah. We, oh, yeah. we need better to win the Super Bowl. They lost to the Titans. And they said, we need better to win the Super Bowl. The San Francisco 49ers said, we need better to win the Super Bowl. And they all went out and drafted their guy. The, the Colts, like you said, continue to treat the, the quarterback position like the Titans treated the kicker position a year ago. Oh, that's a good comparison. I like that comparison. Like, like it, like, oh, well, we'll just put a guy in here and everybody else is so good that we'll make it happen. That's not how this league works. It's just not. Yeah. I'm interested to see what week one brings. Week one of the college football season was amazing. So let's hope that first off, week two of the college football season is just as good. And then the mm-hmm. week one of the NFL is great. Uh, Tennessee Titans uh, play the New York Giants here in Nashville. 325 p.m. is kickoff time on Fox if you are or listen to 104.5. And um, Corey, tell everybody where they can see you weekly. Uh, I guess Sunday through Thursday, I'm on News 2. We have Sports Extra every Sunday night at 1035, where we delve into a a lot of Titans topics, um, and we will surely do that. Also, we have the return of TN Nation coming back again this year. That's our preview show each week for the Titans. That airs Saturday nights after News 2 at 10, which with college football sometimes can be like News 2 at 11, especially if it's an SEC game because those are mandated to go four hours. and then, of course, I'm on Twitter at Corey Curtis, too, if you want to yell at me like a lot of people tend to do. Well, that will do it for us at Football Under Therefore, Fords. Thank you for joining us, Corey. Uh, are, we are sponsored by Jaspers in Nashville, and it is the next step of evolution for Sports Bar. You have to get out to Jaspers in Nashville. Cold beer, hot food, and great food. And I think that's most important is that it has to, food has to taste great, and this food tastes great. Uh, for Football and Other F-Words, my name is Zach Lyons. You can follow me on Twitter at F-Words Pod. This has been Football and Other F-Words. You have just been effed. Broadway Sports Media Production.